there is a podcast that lies between the imagination of two simple-minded earthlings. Travel with these two longtime friends, Jimbo and 80s E, as they attempt to explore the fifth dimension. Follow along with them as they take the key and unlock the door to the vast space between shadow and substance. This podcast is one of trivia, of insight, and of sounds and ideas from one of the greatest television shows ever produced. You are embarking on a timeless journey. There is your signpost up ahead. You are entering the tragedy of cinema's Twilight Zone. Jesse Cardiff, pool shark, the best on Randolph Street, who will soon learn that trying to be the best at anything carries its own special risks in or out of the Twilight Zone. All right, guys, welcome back to the Tragedy of Cinema podcast, the Twilight Zone series. I'm your host, Jimbo. And I'm your co-host, ADZ. Greetings to everyone on this chilly January day as we're recording. Man, and Eric... Just when you thought season three was getting good, they dropped this. It gets bomb. better. No, no, they just uh, dropped this lazy episode on us. I guess, if you will. Okay, they um, just couldn't get into it. Yeah. Could you? I mean, somewhat, but uh, really. a lot of a lot of things taken from uh, a lot of homages to the Hustler, the movie The Hustler. And uh, Jackie Gleason, yeah, the Jackie Gleason, Paul Newman, and that movie was hard for me to follow in spots. It kind of lulled. So, yeah, I mean, maybe if we enjoyed the game of pool more, it would be more interesting. You like to play pool? I mean, it's cool. I I played it from time to time, but I'm not like obsessed with it. Pool shark or anything? Jack Klugman is here. Well, you know, this this reminded me of. um, Did you remember? Do you ever watch the old Fresh Prince of Bel Air? I did. Do you remember where? Will gets in trouble by playing the uh, yeah. pool and gets in yeah, trouble. And, I know that episode. And Uncle Phil comes in. And <laughs> yeah. He's like, oh, well, how about $500 a, a game or whatever, you know? Yeah. He's like, what was what was their uh, butler's name? I get rid of Smithers. Jeffrey. Yeah, yeah. He's like, Jeffrey. And he pulls out the thing and he hooks the pool cue yeah. up and he just runs the board. And basically the moral of the story is he tells Will, hey, don't do this. Got hustled. Yeah. So yeah. that's what this that kind of. That brought back memories of that for you, huh? Yes. All so, right. Well, a game of pool. Yeah. Kick it away. All right. The Twilight Zone. Season number three. Episode number five. This uh, was directed by Buzz Kulick, and it was written by the hippie George Clayton Johnson, and uh, we got some featured music. That's what they—that's what he was called back then, right? He had long hair, and beard. He looked like one of the Oak Ridge Boys. We read that in one of the season two episodes. Yeah, uh, we got some featured music by Jerry Goldsmith. This one was uh, originally aired on October the thirteenth, nineteen sixty-one. And, of course, you guys know what time it is. Our favorite, our favorite, most favorite segment in the episode we like to call On This Day in History. All right, so for On This Day in TV and Film History for October the 13th, do you have something specific for 1961, Jimbo? I, well, I still have the hit, uh, still Hit the Road Jack by Ray Charles. Also, the number one song in the United Kingdom, Eric, is a song called Michael by the Highwaymen. Do you, hmm, do you never know heard that? No. no? Um, and no, it's it's not David Hasselhoff. <laughs> it's the Highwaymen. <laughs> <Number one laughs> the Hoff. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, I don't know, man. This episode just got me a lot. <laughs> it's it's not just, I'm not happy. I'm not a happy camper right now. All I right, mean, but well. uh, maybe you could persuade me. But I doubt. Whoa. I just just refer to me as Fatsbo for the rest of the episode. <laughs> <laughs> we'll trudge through this game of pools. If uh, I think a game can. of pool would be better if these two just took turns doing cannonballs into an actual swimming pool for me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe. All right. For October the 13th, though, back to on this day in film and TV history, let's try to salvage what's left of this episode. It's getting away from us already. This might You might find this interesting. In 1792, the cornerstone for the White House was officially set uh, in 1792. And every U.S. president and first lady since 1800, and that's when John and Abigail Adams moved in in the 18, in 1800s, uh, he moved in, I guess, at the end of his term. So, but the uh, the cornerstone was laid on this day, October thirteenth, seventeen ninety two. So, I thought you were going to say every president since then has been trying to destroy it. That's yeah. what I thought you were. Yeah. Going to <laughs> so we're going way back for that one. So uh, let's move on to nineteen oh three. The Boston Americans, later called the Boston Red Sox, defeated the Pittsburgh Pirates to win the. First modern World Series, huh. 1903, October 13th. Long before Mr. October showed up uh, for the New York Yankees. Uh, so let's move ahead about 50 years, 1950 on this day. The film classic All About Eve, and I asked Jimbo off air if he had ever seen it. Nope. Neither one of us have uh, viewed this movie. It starred Betty Davis and Ann Baxter. And premiered in both Paris and New York City on this day, uh, October 13th, 1950. And it actually won six Academy Awards, including Best Picture. So we got to put that one on the list. Oh, yeah, I'll have to cover that. 1972, a chart, excuse me, 1972, a flight chartered, let me get the words in the right order, by a Uruguayan rugby team. This is a famous story. I'm sure you've heard it, Jimbo. Famous Uruguay Uruguayan rugby team. It crashed. Their plane crashed in the Andes Mountains of Argentina. And they had to eat the survivors. And the wreckage was not located for more than two months. The incident garnered international attention, especially after it was revealed that the survivors had resorted to cannibalism. And uh, it's if you have you seen the movie Alive, Alive, this was based on that. I Eric, thought it was a could, soccer team, you, but I guess it was a rugby team. Could you uh, pull yourself together to, to cannibalize somebody <sighs> Boy, if you had to? I'd have to be really, whew, really hungry. <laughs> I mean, they I, don't deliver pizzas I mean, to the I, I mountaintops some, in the I mean, Andes? I mean, I got some pretty big calves on me, Eric. I mean, if, if we went down, I might sacrifice a leg for you. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what they say is the meatiest part of the human body, right? Well, I don't know if I should answer this. <laughs> <laughs> the old... Backside, I guess. I watched that movie, and that's what stuck out to me. I remember watching it and just being, like, stunned. That so you're saying you'd go for the rump roast instead the rump of a roast. leg. Is yeah. that what you're saying? <laughs> that's what they did. <laughs> I'm just saying. That, uh, you got to be, whew. Man, that's that's a rough one. Right I hope there, they had man. at least barbecue sauce or A1 or something. To help, <sighs> Boy. I don't uh, know. Make sure mine's well done. <laughs> 2021, moving on to the year 2021, <laughs> October the 13th. This is when the great William Shatner becomes the oldest person to reach space, traveling aboard Blue Origin's New Shepard rocket on a 10-minute oh, yeah, flight. Yeah, that wasn't too long ago. Yeah, 2021. So, And I remember because I went to Comic-Con and they were advertising his um, autograph for like 80 bucks, And then after he went to space, it shot up to like 120 or something. Yeah. 
Yeah, after people had already prepaid and everything for Captain it, Kirk. Yeah. What's the big deal? So what? He went to space. And not only not only that, but he also had a winged monster tearing up a wing on the airplane, and also played with that stupid whatever box thing was from Nick of Time. Nick of Time, baby. Shout out to uh, yeah. our buddy Bond, who said that was one of the greatest props of all time. I, I mean, I disagree with him, but I mean, you know. <laughs> All right, let's talk about this episode. A few more facts. Do we have to? <laughs> yeah, we do. Well, you might find this interesting. Will I? The total production cost for this episode was $6,872.28, making it the lowest costing episode thus far. And I think that had largely to do with there's really only two sets, right? There's If there's even two, it could be just one and just smoke in the other one. It's the afterlife. Right, and, and then the, the inside the of the pool hall. That, right. That's really it. So I'm assuming that that's why that number is so low. So yeah, sixty eight hundred bucks. You, well, you don't have your own episode of the Twilight, and Zone. you don't have a lot of characters either to pay for their. Right. Yep, you're not paying actors. So there you go. Dates of rehearsal: uh, July twenty sixth and twenty seventh of nineteen sixty one. Dates of filming: We have three dates. Which are as follows, July 28th, the 31st, and August 1st of 1961. So, Jimbo, with that, I'm going to leave you the cast so, minute, of two. So, I have a question. Go back to the um, the dates of shooting. Yep. Was this, this was shot before the one we just did. Go back to, because uh, that says well, uh, July 26th, 31st, and 1st. One, the other one, like August 2nd, because I, I remember thinking my daughter's birthday. So they shot them out of order. That's what I'm uh, thinking. Let's look. Yes, you're right. This this episode was actually shot before episode four. This is episode five. A Game of Pool is episode five. And, and it was uh, shot out of order. So is episode four, and then was shot. I wonder why they do that. I don't know. I don't know why they sh- shoot them out of order. Maybe time Scheduling constraints. Here? Schedule. I mean, but why concerns. would you rele- not release them in the same... Because I'm sure the one before this had a lot more editing to do than this. I don't know. Yeah, That's just I don't something. know. All right, let's go on to the cast. Yep. Uh, you had Jack Klugman, uh, you know, a Twilight Zone regular. I believe he's he's up there in uh, Twilight Zone appearances as, with Burgess Meredith, I do believe, mm-hmm. at least close maybe before. Uh, he played Jesse Cardiff. He was in probably one of my favorite films of all time, if not my favorite film, uh, 12 Angry Men. Uh, Eric, you ever seen the old 12 Angry Men? Yep. Um, he played Jared number five. He's also on a little show called Quincy M.E., if you remember that. Not a fan, but I did like him in 12 Angry Men. Then you had Jonathan Winters playing James Howard Fats Brown. Not Fats Domino, as Eric wants to do, but Fats <laughs> Brown. I'm going to call him Fats Domino. Right. Though he was in It's a Mad, 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 Mad World in 1963, which is a good film. Uh, but also, I found out this out. Um, Eric, do you remember in 1985 when Alice in Wonderland was on TV? He played Humpty Dumpty. And I think that's also the one where uh, Sammy Davis Jr. plays the caterpillar with the big smoke. Do you remember that? No. no. Like I said, all I remember him from is uh, Mork and Mindy as the well, little baby. But you said How you about the like new Smurf films? Do you Mork remember the Mindy. new Smurf films? He played Papa Smurf, oh, the voice okay. of Papa Smurf in the new uh, films. Um, then you have Dee Sharon, who played Brown's girlfriend. Sad thing is, all of her scenes were deleted. deleted. <laughs> so, how about that? Thanks for uh, your time. Yeah, thank you for your lack of uh, inclusion into the Twilight Zone. But it was a she was in Around the World in eighty days in nineteen fifty six. Also, you had Margie List. She was the caller voice. You remember Fats Domino? You're wanted on Randolph Street, Chicago. Um, 
She was in um, I Love Lucy in 1951, where she played in several episodes as a club's woman. And yes, Rod Serling, uh, no introduction or explanation needed. He's in everything. Uh, he is the narrator and self-host. Eric, I have a question for you. Yes, sir. This came to my head. Okay. Was there an episode of The Twilight Zone where Rod did not appear on screen as he gave his narration or closing, or where he didn't do any of it that you can think of? I think there is one episode about it. Ooh, it slips in my mind now. As far as not being, on, not the being on the narration call at, at all. all. Uh, not uh, that I can think of. I don't know. That's a good question. I thought there was one episode. I don't know. I have to do a I quick there Google was one search where, of that. I thought there was one where he didn't appear on screen. It was just him talking. Well, and then I know most that, of them in season one were just his voiceover narration, right? And then it's that's two. about the end of season one. I think is when he had his cameo at the end. Remember yeah. in the the writing thing they burned. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I just that just popped in my head, so I figured I'd throw it in there. So yeah. I, I don't know the answer to that. That's good. Uh, a good Google search. Let's talk about a plot synopsis for this episode. Jesse Cardiff is a frustrated pool player. He's very good at his game. But his frustration comes from the fact that no matter how well he plays or how often he wins, onlookers always conclude that he's not as good as the late, great James Howard Fats Fats. Brown Domino. He says, not Domino. He says he would give anything to have had the chance to play Fats, and his wish comes true when the man himself suddenly appears. They agree to a game, but Fats warns his eager opponent that winning has its consequences as well so we open the episode let's trudge right along through this episode we um, open in act one with a trick rail shot by jesse cardiff he's like on his own he's in the pool hall practicing all right first question where's the workers well, he tells us later in the episode that he convinced the owner to allow him to come in after hours, so I'm assuming this is after hours. He eats, sleeps, basically lives at the pool hall. So, And I probably died at the pool hall, too. <laughs> well, he did die. Well, we're going to get the there. Hall. We're going to get there. Uh, Jesse seems to be obsessed with beating his uh, former pool legend, Fats Domino, right? He's... He's like talking to himself, and he's walking around the pool hall. He's like, "Man, I just, I just want a chance." This guy's got Must a real like best. inferiority complex. You're the best around. <laughs> yeah, but no one, no one knows, right? So he he's kind of frustrated. He walks over to a picture of Fats Dom, and I may skip over a few parts of this. He he uh, Fats walks is over, the best. Yeah, he walks over to the picture of Fats on the wall, and it's hung among many. Sports legends, I guess, of the air in the area. There's like basketball player next to Fats, and I forget. I can't see what the far one is, but there's sports hero Hall of Fame, I guess, for inside the pool hall. And then as he's talking, um, you know, Jesse talks to him. He says, "If Fats Brown is dead and buried in the ground," and Jesse says, "If Fats were alive, he could beat him. He just wants one game." And then we. Uh, a call comes over the the scene shifts and a call comes over the intercom and I, I'm going to call this limbo a heaven limbo purgatory whatever and uh, we see Fats you know playing a game of pool did you notice that all the balls are black on the table in the limbo uh, pool hall yes alright just thought I'd <laughs> just thought I would point that out 
Um, so then Fats appears in the doorway of the pool hall on Randolph Street in Chicago. He just magically appears and he says, "At your service, right?" Uh, I thought it was cool though. You know, the the lighting was pretty cool. There, yeah, the lighting is good. Shadow. I, I yeah, give that. Right. Yeah, okay, so I you, gave him. I gave him a half. You star. can concede All that. Right, I yeah. guess. Yeah, I guess. So after that. Uh, what did do we already pass Rod? Yeah, he Rod's was just introduction. There. It's a really quick pan to and holding Rod. the pool stick. <laughs> yeah, smoking a. I mean, he fits right in the pool hall. He's got the cigarette, holding the pool cue, and and uh, then we end Act One. We go to a commercial break or whatever, and we come back in Act Two. We get the title shot again, and Fats enters in carrying his pool cue case, and. They exchange some words. There's a lot of banter, you know, gamesmanship going on in the in the dialogue in the throughout the whole episode. So it's a lot of that, and there's nothing really specific. It's just a lot of trash talking, if you will. <laughs> it's exactly for what it most is. of the episode. So it's kind of hard to isolate like plot points, I guess, like high plot points when it's kind of the same thing for for several minutes. I guess I'll just put it that way. But Jesse is confused because he thinks, you know, Fats is dead, right? How are you here? And I thought this was a decent quote. Fats says, it reminded me of the Sandlot and the Babe Ruth character. Yeah. It's very similar. And Fats says this, as long as people talk about you, you're not really dead. As long as they speak your name, you continue. A legend doesn't die just because the man does. And then well, I think the quote from the Sandlot is like, uh, heroes are remembered, but legends never die, or something yeah. like that. So it was very similar. That struck me. I guess that's why I put it down in the notes. So Jesse walks over to the picture on the wall to confirm, like it really is him. He says, "It isn't a rib. I mean, it's it's you." Like he wants to confirm that this is actually Fats. And again, the two exchange some gamesmanship, and Fats tells Jesse. He's all talk. When the heat is on, you fold because he's a second-rate player, right? Yeah. I don't know. Anything stand out to you here? Give no, me something. Uh, yeah, I will say, um, <laughs> you know, Jonathan Winters was best known for comedic roles, and he, yeah. he actually does a pretty good job of playing a serious character. I he will does. give him that. I'll, I'll give him that. Yep. Yeah. Um, it almost looks like The Godfather. Yeah. Yeah, which is proper for the era, uh-huh. and I'll get to that kind of in some trivia later. Um, so, again, this, this exchange of gamesmanship kind of goes – back and forth for a little bit and then we come to the stakes of the game they're gonna play and <laughs> this is where it gets the, interesting throws money on the table. It's like what's money gonna do yeah, for me i'm for dead, dead guy. <laughs> money is no use to fats and he tells him that and then fat suggests the stake should be life or death you beat me and you live you lose and you die so the gauntlet has been thrown down and jesse thinks those stakes are like they're insane like you're crazy like i'm not gonna risk my life playing a game of pool, which that might have been the smartest line of the whole movie. So, our whole episode, sorry, not movie. Um, and again, it's more gamesmanship talk. Fats uh, says Jesse doesn't want to be the best bad enough. But, you know, Jesse says he's wrong. Do you know how many hours, how many years, how much of myself I put into this game? How many nights I've slept on the table right there? I made a deal with the owner so that I could practice after the place is closed. I like how he keeps calling him, uh, Fats keeps calling him boy. But actually, you yeah, know, that's he's, in my trilogy, he's, too. He's, yeah. he's younger than Klugman yeah. in this episode. Yeah, he's a couple years younger, yeah. I think, than Klugman. Um, but I thought this line also stuck out in the midst of all the back and forth 
Um, Fat says, you'll never make it great at anything by playing it safe. I thought that was another good line. Well, I think it's just extracted. a trick. I think it's just a trick. We'll come yeah. to find out. Um, well, I won't jump ahead of my notes. but um, No, go ahead. Well, you know, number one, how they keep score. You know, they have the old clothesline above mm-hmm. the top and moving moving the racks back and forth, you know. And, and I think Fats is giving him um, – I think he's letting him win at first. You know, you can tell, oh, oh yeah, I he's guess. hustling. Oh, yeah, yeah, right. And then here he comes Fats, and then that's where Klugman starts like, oh, oh, man, he starts sweating and all that. Mm-hmm. But I think it boils down to when um, – Remember when he drops his pull cue and startles him? He's like, "Hey, what's, what's up, man?" He's like, "It's just a little gamemanship." <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, I think, I think with from that when him by him doing that, I think that is part of Fat preparing Klugman to win mm-hmm. um, because he's probably had people try all kinds of stuff over the years trying to beat him, and he's mm-hmm. preparing for what's going to happen at the end of this episode. He's preparing for any newcomers that come along and try to take him on because he wants him to be stuck forever doing the job. <laughs> yeah. And I think it's, it's after he does that and he misses and then he he goes and he shoots that ball and he lines it up perfectly. He did that on purpose to purposefully make uh, Jack Klugman win this so he could get away from his purgatory. purgatory. Yeah. So, yeah. Sorry, I jumped around a little bit no. there, but that's that just came to my mind. I mean, you pretty much encapsulated it. Uh, so Jesse obviously accepts the terms of the challenge that the two men prepare. Fats puts on his visor, and I got some info <laughs> about the visor later because I always you're taking that my, as your prop, aren't you? Eric? No, no, <laughs> no. I'm not taking it as my prop. I just I the question always jumped out at me: Why do pool players, poker players, always wear those green visors? Well, some of them are red or some of them Yeah, well, I've got some info on that later. I never knew why. So, um, Maybe we should wear one when we record. (laughs) I don't think it would help this podcast. (laughs) 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 Oh, boy. Uh, So Fats, you know, he puts on the visor. He pulls out his special pool pool cue, and he he says he's made a living at it uh, for 30 years. And they decide they're going to play the game 14-1 rack and flip a coin to see who breaks. Which there's a goof in here about the coin flip and all that, and I'll get to that in a second. But they play 14-1. I've never played. I guess you get points for every ball. I don't know pool well enough. I know eight ball. That's probably the only thing right. I've ever That's played. Or I've nine ball, played. where you yeah. go in sequence. Uh, but eight ball, and there's some more goofs about. Which, a game of pool, there's a lot of goofs in the game itself, and we'll get to it in a second. They messed up in the episode, which <laughs> I don't understand. Like... You had one job to make sure it's maybe, accurate. Maybe they weren't as a but they're in the twilight zone. Yeah, right? All so it doesn't matter. All right. So after we get a sort of a little ways through this game, and we're just going to skip ahead since Jibbo hates this episode so much. Oh, you're lot, not far behind a, me. I'm a sure. lot of gamesmanship goes on, and then we get to the critical. Is it towards the end of the game? No, no, we don't get to that yet. We get to the commercial. When we come back for Act 3, there's more pool playing. There's a lot. I mean, there's pool playing being played for over half the episode, right? Mm-hmm. And my question to you was, we got to come. We didn't have the answer. was like, are the actors actually taking the shots? Because we couldn't find any trivia well, about that. Well, let, uh, let me get to – I have two oh, okay. things in this. Um, so um, tell me, are the actors shooting the shots? I, well, or I, I believe are they there are. Are there pros coming I in? I believe they are. All right, tell, um, tell us about that. 
so let me give you a little behind the scenes from my encyclopedia, Twilight Zone Encyclopedia by Stephen J. Rubin. Um, I'll read you what he says here. So the original title of writer George Clayton Johnson's teleplay was The Pool Player. My favorite episode, said Jack Klugman. I identify so strongly with that. From the time I got the script to the last day of shooting, which was a matter of weeks, I lived this guy. I knew him inside and out. So I went to Western Costume. I saw the sweater. I saw the hat with the brim up. I knew exactly what he would be wearing. I knew him, and I fell in love with him, and that certainly is a tribute to the writer. One of the things I love most about A Game of Pool was that there were just two of us, Jonathan or Johnny Winters and myself. And I admired him so much, and he was so very nervous because of straight part for him, Because, uh, but he was wonderful at it. And every time he'd make a mistake, he would do 20 minutes of a comedy routine, and I tell you, he, you'd just be on the floor laughing. But he wanted to be good, and he listened to Buzz Kulik, the director. He really worked, and it was so wonderful to have this guy really trying to make up work and succeeding all the way down the line. He would always say, well, you know, Jack, after all, I'm not an actor. I'm just a comic. I'd say, don't give me that baloney. He was wonderful. And there wasn't a day that I worked on a Rod Sterling script that I wasn't glad I was in the business, said Jonathan Winters. It was a very good script. I was so fortunate to play Fats. I was never offered many serious roles, always comedy, because I was labeled as a comedian. So when the part opened, I was very happy. Writer George Clayton Johnson was less enthusiastic about how the episode turned out. Hmm. I was in Missouri with Charles Bulma, William F. Nolan, uh, Rich, and William Shatner. And we were making a movie called The Intruder based on Charles Beaumont's novel. And I get a call from Buck Houghton. In my opinion, he was the finest producer I ever worked with. In a story session, often the very best ideals in a script would come from him. He acknowledged that Rod was the boss, but Rod deferred to Buck, who almost made all of the decisions. So I get this call and I find out that Rod Sterling wants to change a game of pool. My story in its original form had the veteran pool player outwit and outgamesmanship the young pool player, and the legend, the man who is dead, is walking away, having won the game, leaving the man behind. But the young man says at the end of the play, look, I'm still alive, I can get better, I will get better, you'll hear from me again. To me, that was touching. It's the story of an old gunfighter and a young gunfighter, and the old gunfighter knows that eventually he's going to slip and someone's going to nail him. But as long as he can do it, he keeps on playing the game. So now they wanted to change it, to reverse it, and make the older pool player lose to the younger pool player. The joke was that now the younger pool player had to be the legend and sit in heaven and wait for the challenger. And they thought this was all very clever, but I thought it was all very dumb. <laughs> so the original one, you didn't think too kindly yeah, of it. Yeah, you didn't. I, I have that in my trivia as well, that they changed the ending. Apparently he wasn't a fan of that. Rightfully so, if it was his story. I get that. So I'm not... We're gonna skip ahead to Act Three. They're they're obviously playing pool there, and the the score is two ninety nine to two ninety six. Jesse he misses his most important shot to win. It was like four ball cluster, and he missed. And then um, Fats tells Jesse like it comes down to one shot, right? And Fats misses the final shot, and we're we're looking at it right now. Now, I have a question for you. Do you think he missed it on purpose? Absolutely. I think it was all a ploy, Uh, especially when he dropped the thing and he made him miss that shot, and then he set this shot up right after it. Yeah, because Jesse says, oh, this is a hanger. Like, this is the easiest shot in the world. Yeah, and and he's like, don't choke, basically. Right. But Fats has one last, uh, you know, bit of advice for him. He says, you might get more than you bargained for. I like that line. And if you hit this shot, you might get more than you bargained for. And, uh... You know, Jesse's so eager to win and to be the champion, to beat the best, that, you know, he sinks the shot, 
and then essentially the game is over. And I'll be the best. Yeah, and then he grabs the... Or, no, shortly thereafter, that's when um, Fats, you know, starts unscrewing his pool cue. And he thanks him, and he's and then Jesse's like, why are you thanking me? He said, you'll find out. Yeah, <laughs> essentially. And then uh, he turns around really quickly, and then Fats is gone. And uh, according to Rod, Fats has gone fishing. I think that's funny. And uh, so Jesse is there with his thoughts did they did they ever say how long he had been dead fat or when he took I over i think 30 years he'd been dead so, maybe so he's been the best for 60 years probably. yeah I, I would guess i think i have something in my trivia that relates timeline do you got something there that you want to well i mean that the, we have the ending of him winning but i was going to read i have the little uh, excerpt of the script of how the original I guess writer yeah. had the ending, so I thought since we actually have the script, I thought I would uh, okay. read it. So as far as George Clayton Johnson, he greatly prefers the ending he wrote in the script in which Jesse loses the game. Here it is, in its entirety, not the entire script. I'm not gonna read that; just the <laughs> ending scene. Okay. So, a two shot featuring Jesse with a final look at Fats. He bends to the table. He carefully sights. It is absolutely silent as he takes two tentative passes at the cue ball and shoots. The cue ball hits the 15 ball. It rolls toward the pocket, hooks the corner, and bounces or bounces back. He has missed. Fat steps into uh, the scene. Uh, ben sight, uh, sights, shoots, and sinks the ball. He turns slowly to face Jesse. Jesse stands frozen. He is struck dumb with terror. It is time to pay off the bet. Jesse, what are you waiting for? Get it over with. Fat continues to look at him without moving. Jesse, you said life or death. Uh, there's a close shot of Fats, and Fat says, Do you really expect me to kill you? Uh, confused, he had expected a sudden horrible death, not this. Jesse, you said if I'd won, I'd live. If I lost, I'd die. Fats, and you will. As all second raiders die, you'll be buried and forgotten without me touching you. If you'd beat me, you'd have lived forever. Uh, reacting at the first with sudden relief as he realizes that Fats has no intention of t- uh, taking his life, and then with anger because he has been tricked. You tricked me, Jesse says. <laughs> Fats, you had to prove yourself under pressure. Any man can be a marksman if that target doesn't shoot back. Uh, Jesse looks at him in bewilderment as Fats packs into his cue into, back into his case. Fats turns and walks into the shadows at the rear of the pool room. He turns, nods, and vanishes. Jesse shakes himself, blinks with a cry. He runs to the spot where Fats disappeared. Jesse, wait! He looks wildly around. Jesse, wait! It isn't over. Do you hear me? I haven't given up. I'll practice day and night if necessary. I'm still alive. I can get better, and I will get better. He cocks his head, listening, silence, and then slowly he turns. As he walks back to the table, picks up his stick, and begins to practice combination shots. Jesse, under his breath, you'll hear from me again, Fats Brown. Serling's voice comes in. Lives of great men all remind us we can make our lives sublime, and departing, leave behind us footprints on the sands of time, on the earth as we know it, and in the twilight zone, and then it faded to back black. So, uh, what I you like think, that ending you better. You like that ending better than yeah. this? Yeah, I think that's pretty good. It just shows facts that he's still the best, you know, and a little bit of, yeah. you know. Well, so. we're coming to the end here, where Jesse is laid like prostrate on top of the pool table, and then he repeats his name, Jesse Carter. Like I'm the best, Jesse Carter, Jesse Carter, and then he's transported to the. <laughs> Heaven, if you will. Yeah, the purgatory or what? I don't know. I guess it's a heaven for pool player. And then wouldn't you know it? Just like Fats, Jesse is called called to the pool hall. He's in this loop of, look, he's just completely defeated. 
Like he doesn't know, you know, he what, got more than he bargained for. Right. All right. And then it thus concludes the episode. It's a little trivia. We've covered a lot. I won't um, go into a whole bunch. Jimbo talked about this earlier that this was Jack Klugman's favorite Twilight Zone episode out of the four that he appeared in. Jonathan Winters was a legendary. He was legendary for his comedic abilities, but he had never once prior to this episode played a dramatic role. Uh, director Buzz Kulik chose to cast Winters because he not only was physically right for the role, but uh, also because he believed that Winters' inexperience in dramatic acting would actually be an asset. So he uh, he liked what he saw there, and uh, he I think Kulik commented that he brought a uh, he was a brilliant talent that he brought a lot of freshness to the role because it was a first time actor uh, of serious roles. Jackie Gleason was the first choice to play Fats. However, he he, he turned it down. Gleason, That's really cool. Yeah, Gleason had starred as the Minnesota Fats in the 1961 Pool Hall movie, The Hustler. Uh, Jim already. Well, no, he didn't touch on this. In the, its original concept, the story was to use three actors. Dee Sharon, who was credited but does not appear, played Fats Brown's girlfriend. In one or more scenes, at least one of these scenes was filmed before the decision was made to cut her part out completely. Do you think she would have been up in heaven, or do you think she would have been in the pool hall and mm. she's starting to hit on... That's a good question. I don't know. It might like have to broken like up to the s- monotony yeah, of I would like the to episode. See it. Yeah, maybe that would have... And if they did that, I wish they would have stuck with the original ending with him, like, hey, you're just second rate, baby. <laughs> you know, and go back to you could have her. <laughs> you know, it's not like... Uh, apparently, Buck Houghton and Buzz Kulik proposed revising a scene in which Fats has a girl with him during his scenes in the pool hall limbo. So I guess there's the answer to your question. She was in pool hall limbo with Fats mm. and then uh, came in. Five women were interviewed for the role. A blonde, showgirl types, all in age ranging from 19 to 24 years, described as tall and beautiful. Uh, a casting call was held on July 31st and Sharon D., uh, was selected and filmed Look as Fats me, Girl. Sharon, Sharon D. D. That's right. <laughs> Fats says that he paid $600 for his cue, his pool cue, and made a living with it for 35 years. I guess we said 30 earlier, so it was 35 years. He had also been dead for 15 years, meaning it was purchased in 1911. In $600 in 1911 would equal roughly $18,500 in 2023. For a custom pool cue. That's a car, Eric. So eighteen five for a pool cue. Fats occasionally refers to Jesse as the kid. Jimbo talked about that. In reality, Jack Klugman was three years older than Winters. Jack Klugman's line, now wait a minute, was one of his catchphrases as Dr. Quincy on Quincy M.E. Uh, we talked about George Clayton Johnson's original script. Um, Jonathan Winters, who was residing at Taylor's Lane in Mamoreneck, New York. He actually wrote to Rod Serling asking for the opportunity to appear uh, in a future Twilight Zone production. Serling worked at it for a few months, and on April 24th, Serling answered Winters' follow-up letter. The silence does not mean that I have forgotten, or that out of sight is out of mind, or any other cliche that happens to cross that incredible mind of yours. I'm still thinking, planning, and conjuring up an idea. I don't know how long it will take, but it will come because it always does somehow and in some way. You'll be hearing from me. So, apparently, Rod was in on Jonathan Winters, too. Actually, was 
plucking his mind to try to come up with uh, an idea. And this goes to the the actual cost of the episode. The entire episode was filmed on Stage 5 at MGM. Only two sets were required for the entire episode. The interior of the pool hall and pool hall limbo. The entire uh, company was delayed on August 1st, the final day of shooting, due to weather dripping from the roof uh, to the stage for the pool hall limbo, forcing the cast and crew to return to film a scene on the morning of August 2nd. So technically, I guess it was four days of shooting. Uh, the voice of the woman beckoning the legend was Marjorie Lizd, uh, who recorded her voice at MGM uh, Sync Room B on September 12, 1961, from 11 to 11.30 a.m. So it only took her half an hour and knocked it out. Uh, many of the photos hanging on the wall, including one of the horse standing alone, was reused in many other episodes of The Twilight Zone when Fats is in the pool hall limbo. Summoned to the surface, all of the balls in the uh, pool table were black. We talked about that. And referenced Tazio Gio, I don't know, the famous race car guy, that uh, the Italian race car driver. So that, famous, I've never heard of it. Yeah, that Fats reference. He was oh. <laughs> born November 16th, 1892, and died August 11th, 1953. He was an Italian racing driver. He first raced motorcycles and then concentrated on sports cars and single-seaters. Uh, it goes on to talk about he had 72 victories, which included 24 Grand Prix, 5 Copacinos, uh, he won a Le Mans, a 24-hour race at Le Mans. That's probably more famous, famous, popular, or whatever. He won one of those in Grand Prix, uh, Grand Prix racing. Ferdinand Porsche called him the greatest driver of the past, present, and the future. Thus, huh. probably why he was referenced in the episode, because he was the best. Um, anything you want to insert? Well, I will say one thing. I don't think we talked about it, but uh, I think this is only the second time so far that we've seen a character break the fourth wall. Um, Jack Klugman at the end, he's like, you seen that, didn't you? Like, right. he beat him uh, because he didn't think anybody would believe him. And uh, I think that was pretty cool So that he actually talked to the audience. All right, let's talk about some goofs. The goofs primarily encompass the game itself. Jay, uh, Jesse Carter racks the pool balls. Before the type of game is even decided upon, and before the breaker is even determined by the coin toss, typically the breaker will rack the balls. Not only that, Cardiff racks the balls with the eight ball in the bottom right corner, which is incongruous with both typical eight ball pool. I think the eight ball is supposed to be in the middle when you rack for eight ball, not in the bottom right corner. The eight ball always has to be, I think, in the middle, I think. And in the 14.1 straight pool game, which they played... They both decided to play. I get the A ball is never in the bottom right corner for that game as well. So there's one goof. The second goof, when Jesse flips the coin, uh, Fats calls tails. It's revealed that it was heads, yet Fats says he'll break. He lost the flip to Jesse, so he has no... He doesn't have the choice to break or not, right? It should have been Jesse's call. I have no idea. I don't know either, but that... If you win a coin toss, you have the option to break or pass. So that makes sense to me. So that was, I guess, technically wrong when it comes to the game. Jimbo, tell me your your observations, your feelings. Obviously, they are all right already bubbling we, to the well, surface. Your feelings toward this episode. Look, I don't want to. I don't want to be too hard on this episode because you know Jonathan Winters did an outstanding job in this. 
um, Klingman or Klugman, sorry, he did it. He did a fine job. Everybody did fine. Their acting was good. Uh, the use of the light and shadows, uh, especially when he steps out from the dark and when he returns at the end, great. Um, I like how the Klugman uh, talks to the to the audience, uh, breaks the fourth wall. It, to me, I think they, and I understand it was a game of life or death for Poole, um, but to me, it was just very boring. I mean, just sit there and watch them play pool. I mean, if you're a pool shark or a, I love the game of pool, I think you'll you'll really like this episode more than just an average person would, um, as myself. Um, so for me, <coughs> um, I think for me, I'm going to give this. I'll give it a six. <coughs> That's just for the acting and the the cinematography of this episode. All right, so. I'm going to say, uh, well, we already asked you about, uh, do, do you think that Fats missed the shot on purpose? Absolutely. But 100%. I like the simplicity of the room and the set. I think that's kind of cool that it's it's bare bones. You know, both actors were known for comedic acting. Both delivered pretty excellent dramatic, you know, performances here. Um, the episode really makes you stop and think, I guess, for the high about the high cost of success being the best at anything skill talent luck and nerve all come together with an obsessive passion i mean that's in sports in you know business any realm of life if you actually are the best at anything you got to be a little obsessive not a little obsessive usually you have to be a lot obsessive and the the last dance documentary about michael jordan's you know, Bulls, Bulls kind of comes to mind with that. And a lot of people didn't like him. They hated him because he was crazy. <laughs> you know, he was, uh, you know, a tyrant even at times. But skill, talent, luck, and nerve all come together with that obsession, obsession, obsessive, if I can say that word correctly, passion to be the best. Uh, why do pool players, is my questions, why do pool players and others wear green eye shades? Well, I looked it up. Green eye shades or dealer's visors are a type of visor that were worn most often in the late 19th century and mid-20th century by accountants, telegraphers, copy editors, and others engaged in vision-intensive, detail-oriented occupations to lessen eye strain due to early incandescent lights and candles, which uh, tended to be harsh. So, there you go. That's cool. a, that was a little tidbit. And then I'll just finally wrap up with this, and we can put this one to bed. The history of pool. So, with the exception of one pocket games, typically called pool, today's uh, it, today are descended from two English games imported to the United States in the 19th century. The first is called English Billiards, which became four American four-ball billiards. They are the, essentially the same game with an extra red object to increase scoring opportunities. And then let's move down to the 20th century. Basically, the forerunner of straight pool. So in 1910, new games introduced at the turn of the 20th century included Kelly Pool and 8-Ball, which is probably what we're most familiar with. The distinctive appearance of the pool balls with their many colors and divisions between solids and stripes uh, came about in 1889. Prior to this... Um, object balls were uniformly deep red and differentiated only by numbers. So there you go. Solids and stripes. What's uh? What's your rating? My rating for this episode, I'm gonna probably come in. What did I rate the last episode? An eight. I'm gonna come in with this one. 
we talked about this before. IMDb rated this one higher than the Passersby, which is totally wrong. I gave the Passersby an eight. I'm going to give this one probably like a seven point three. <laughs> you can't just say seven or seven and a half. Seven point three. I'm going to go with seven point three for this episode. Let's talk about what are you taking away from this? What's your prop prop piece? Well, you're going to come up with something stupid, I know. So wow. Uh, <laughs> Once I'm, again, I'm he... going to take the picture of Jonathan Winters on the wall. Okay, with his fats. Fats. I'm going to take the pool cue. Six hundred bucks and nineteen of them. You didn't say which one. Are you taking Fats's pool? You're not going to take the one Rod Sterling was holding. No, I'm going to take no? Fats's okay. pool cue. The case, the green visor. I want all of it. <laughs> so you want you want the whole outfit. You don't just want the pool cue, <laughs> right? Uh, well. Uh, Hopefully, season three starts warming up because I do believe here in a few short episodes we have one of my favorites of all time, the five characters in search of an exit. I don't remember if it's the next one or not, but it's coming up real fast. But uh, yeah, uh, knocking them out of the park. We're lining them up and we're getting them going. So yeah, I'm going to uh, be sick that day we do that one. <laughs> I got to watch it again, dude. It's been a long time since I've seen it. Yeah. Uh, but I remember, like I said, it's from my childhood, so I'm obviously going to like it. I remember it on the Twilight Zone marathon at my grandma's house. So. Right. Um, well, Eric, if they want to reach out to us, we are the Tragedy of Cinema Podcast on Facebook. Uh, as Eric stated earlier, you can email us at thetragedyofcinema at gmail.com. Um, any final thoughts, Eric? Nope. All right. Well, I think this episode's coming to close, and that's a wrap. And cut. Mr. Jesse Cardiff, who became a legend by beating one. But it was found out after his funeral that being the best of anything carries with it a special obligation to keep on proving it. Mr. Fats Brown, on the other hand, having relinquished the champion's mantle, has gone fishing. These are the ground rules in the Twilight Zone.